Hey, this is Pastor Jeff Workmeister of Elevate Church, and welcome to our podcast. I want to thank you for listening today. I hope this inspires you, encourages you, and builds your faith. Enjoy the podcast. So if you have your Bibles, please open them. We're going to get started right away. In Mark chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 25. And it says, in fact... It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. And then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. So there's a lot to unpack here. Peter, in my mind, I picture him kind of getting a little bit of an attitude, like, we've given up everything to follow you. And Jesus is so kind in his response, like, whoa, 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 like, don't miss the point here. And we're gonna start with point number one today. What does follow me mean? And it is a personal invitation. So I want you to picture in your mind just a basic birthday invitation. It tells you who, what, where, why you're celebrating, and the only thing it asks of you is your, your answer, your RSVP. It's a come as you are. And this is just like Jesus. Jesus meets us exactly where we are because he wants to capture our hearts. He knew it would be costly for the disciples and for us, which is why he makes this personal. It's about a, a relationship with him and not a sacrifice to him. Now, some of the disciples in their meeting of Jesus are listed in the Bible, and he's either pulled them out of their livelihood, which meant everything to them, or he's engaged them in a way that only he would know. In addition to this, their culture was that if a rabbi was saying, follow me, this was a really big deal and something that you didn't question. So Peter's response makes a lot of sense. But let's take a look at the disciples and some of their encounters with Jesus when he says, follow me. So we've got Simon, Peter, James, James, and John were all professional fishermen. And he says, follow me while they are fishing. This was their livelihood. I know what it's like to pick up my work email before going to the word or saying a prayer. And I'm sure many of you can relate to that. You've also got Matthew. Matthew was sitting in a tax collector booth while he was collecting taxes when Jesus says, follow me. This was Matthew's identity. I can also relate to this. When we made the decision for me to stay home and care for our children, in a matter of weeks, I went from training and developing executives to changing diapers and feeding babies. That was really hard, that, because my job at the time was my identity. And then you have Nathaniel. Now, some scholars believe that Nathaniel was a skeptic and questioned literally everything, and God knew this about him. So he knew that Jesus was going to have to engage him in a way that only he would know, which is why when he tells him, I saw you under the fig tree, he was proving himself to him when nobody else was around. It was only Nathaniel. Now, they were all at different points in their faith, but what stands out about each of the disciples in their stories is that they all had personal moments with Jesus when he said, follow me. So when I was, um, my, so my whole life I would have told you that I was a Christian, but I did not really understand what this meant until I started having children. 
and I have a child in the crowd right now, so I'll try not to look at him so I don't cry. <laughs> um, but there were two specific things that happened to me that I know now were the Holy Spirit, but at the time that I was experiencing them, I wasn't rooted enough in Jesus to understand what was happening to me. So the first one was, I'm watching my, my oldest play on the floor and I'm thinking about who he's gonna become and what I wanted him to love and I was like, oh, I want him to love reading. And I knew it was gonna have to be the example, so I started reading physical books in front of him. So a couple of months of doing this, I had this revelation that I wanted him to love reading, I wanted him to love God, and I wanted him to love the Bible. And I literally had a stop me in my tracks moment because I realized I wasn't reading the word. So how was I going to desire for him to know God or be able to answer his questions one day if I didn't even know what I believed? I physically felt a burning urgency on my insides that I had to start reading the Bible. This was a really defining moment for me. And I, the very next day, I picked up my Bible and I read that thing cover to cover over the course of two years. And I fast forward to my second, and I'm watching my boys play on the floor, having another reflective moment, and I remember sitting on the couch and I prayed this prayer and I said, God, I hope my prayers for my boys are enough. And I instantly had another stop me in my tracks moment because I heard the words, they aren't. That same burning urgency that I had experienced before returned, and this time I was panicked. But I knew instantly what I needed to do, and that very day my prayer life was birthed. So what was Jesus saying to me in this moment? He was saying, Jeanette, maybe even using my middle name, Jeanette Lynn, you have to change. If you want them to love me, then I need you to love me first. How? Can you teach them about me if you don't even know who I am? This was personal. It was terrifying. It was deep, but it was unique to me. And the person sitting next to you has a different story than you, but what we all have in common is that he makes this a personal invitation similar to the disciples that we just reviewed. So for me, this also begged the question, what does Jesus want or even expect in follow me? And the first thing, I think, is believing. Now, we know this from John 3, 16, that whoever believes will not perish but have eternal life. But I believe that this is just the baseline. This is just the baseline of our journey. The second part of this is taking action, that you have to do something about it. James 1:21 says, so get rid of the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word that God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your soul. Okay, so I had this revelation and I thought, so I have this book in front of me that has the power to save my soul and I'm not reading it? This was defining for me. I realized I can't just say a prayer for my day and be done. I can't just read a couple Bible verses that look cute and call it a day. I can't just do these quick things and move on. It's about praying and reading combined with studying, combined with living out God's word every single day. It's just like a seed that is planted. A seed needs time to grow. You plant it in good soil, you give it water, you give it sunlight, you nourish it, you give it time so it can bear any kind of fruit. I think the Lord is so intentional about using the word planted 
in that verse because he wants us to have that picture. This is our faith because if we don't nurture it, it dies. And then it's moving forward without knowing what's next. And I think that this is the hardest part. Sometimes we don't always think about it. I wanna paraphrase something that Pastor John Brevere says, and he says, God always shows us the end result first, but doesn't show us the how. This is where trust and faith come in. You have to change, and that's what Jesus is saying, so let's make that happen. And I think Ephesians 5, verse eight and nine, sum this up so beautifully, and it says, for once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of the light, for the light within you produces what is, what is good and right and true. So when Jesus tells us, come and follow me, and I will make you fish for people, he's saying, come and follow me, and I will make you like me. He meets us where we are because he wants to capture our attention real time. He wants us to have some kind of skin in the game. He didn't say, come to me after your fish quota has been met for the day. He didn't say, come to me, but only after the taxes have been collected for the year. He didn't say, come to me, but only if you don't doubt. He said, come and follow me. This requires us to take a chance of not knowing what's next or how or what it means for our lives. There's a ton of unknown. So there was this young couple, and she thought that she was pregnant. And at the time, the only way she was going to be able to get a pregnancy test was to walk into Planned Parenthood. So she goes in and she says, I need a pregnancy test. And they start with the questions, why? And she says, well, I think I'm pregnant. And they say, well, how old are you? And she says, well, I'm 18. And they say, oh, but you're so young. You don't have to keep it. Is the father of the baby around? And she says, yes. And they say, okay, here's some information. Come back when he's with you and we'll have another conversation. So she convinces him to go with her. And they go back in and the same questions start over again. Why are you here? We need a pregnancy test because we think she's pregnant. Well, how old are you? We're 18 and 19 years old. Oh, well, you're so young. You don't have to keep it. Now, either decision that they would have made would have been really scary. But this particular day, they walked out. And life was really hard. They ended up getting married. Their marriage was really rocky. It ended in divorce. But they made their decision and they walked in it. And today I wanna to show you a picture of that young couple and that baby. Now I wanna tell you that there is no shame and condemnation if you've walked on the other side of this because we serve a God of healing and redemption and restoration and we wanna walk with you. I only share this as an illustration of my life to help us understand what's possible when we say yes to Jesus and his plans for us because whatever the enemy plans, he can and will redeem. Now point number two today is astounded. Okay, so Jesus is literally breaking the, breaking the perception of what it means to follow him. Like he's literally blowing their minds that people who have it all inherit eternal life. We know that physical riches only gives us the appearance of having it all together. It doesn't mean that we have everything. How can we know that we are so blessed when we're so focused on what the world says our life should look like or what society says we should, our lives should look like? 
Peter's response in this way makes a lot of sense, but it was shaped on what culture said it meant to follow a rabbi. We all fall trapped to working hard to receive riches, but it's really about where our focus is. They were following Jesus for a while and he stops them in their tracks and this is their fork in the road moment. And this reminds me of that young ruler who's told to sell everything, give it to the poor and follow me. And in Luke 18, 23, it says, he became very sad because he was wealthy. He was tied to the world and Jesus is showing the disciples that their understanding of eternal life is off. What's so interesting about that story is the young ruler was never forced, but Jesus told him everything he needed to do to follow him ahead of time. He recognizes that the disciples are struggling with this, which is why he tells them everything is possible with God. Everything you don't understand yet is possible with me. The world has a cap on you, but Jesus has a higher calling. Just a few verses before their astonishment in Mark 10, 15, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. We heard this from Pastor Ryan last week. This means that we should have the confidence in the promises of Jesus and the faith to move forward even though we can't see it. The disciples may have followed him, but they were lacking in confidence and trust, and Jesus understood this about them. So when I say to one of my kids, like, come here, follow me, they do it because they trust me. They might have questions along the way. They might mess up along the way, and that's okay. They're still walking with me. Literally, they can offer me nothing because all of their belongings actually belong to me. <laughs> all they can offer me is their trust and obedience. So this is, so, this is translated, and we're, we've been watching Lord of the Rings with our, with our boys, and their little schmeagle guy is going back and forth with, our, with himself, and our, our boys are like, what, what the heck? Like, what, why are they doing this? And we're like, well, this is how the devil works and this is how Satan talks to you. And it ended up in like telling him about how you cast out demons. <laughs> Anyways, but this guy, our middle child, Wyatt, led us in family prayer that night, well after this conversation, and he prays and he says, God, if anybody has a demon inside of them, we want it to go away. <laughs> the faith of a child. I have one eye open and I'm looking at Matt like, are you hearing this? <laughs> Jesus was helping the disciples to understand you can't have a great and eternal life in your own strength. And if I think back to the time that Jesus called me, I was caught off guard with that burning urgency both of those times. The words, they aren't ringing in my head so clearly, but it's a constant motivation for me that he is with me. I have to pulse check myself a lot. I ask, am I, am I listening to Jesus? Am I taking his correction and then doing something about it? Am I trusting what he is saying? Because staying in astonishment leads to fear. And this is our fork in the road moment. It's our decision time. Because I too was astounded, but my decision to press into Jesus and his calling changed my astonishment to the confidence that I have in him today. Love you guys. Thank you. What's up? All right. So we're going to just jump back in, all right, on point three. Here we go. Me and Jeanette, we got to meet together a lot, and it's just been so sweet to just prepare this for you and to hear what the Lord says, because that's just the most important. 
So here we go. Point three, we're going to just dig deep. What does this mean when we accept the invitation from Jesus, right? There's an invitation that we all have a yes or no, just like what Jeanette said, right? But what's so sweet and we see in the Bible over and over and over again is that the disciples, right, Jesus met them personally, right in the middle of exactly where they were at. And what's so sweet is I know that a few of us, maybe you're coming to church and you're just like, I want to learn more about Jesus. Or maybe you've had that moment with Jesus, right? But what's so cool, and it just gets me every time, every time when I spend time with the Lord, it's like that one moment happens over again where Jesus just meets you again, right? But there is a moment, a response from us when we say, Jesus, you have this invitation, but guess what? I want to do this with you right? I want to do this with you. I'm going to say yes right now to follow me, right? Even if blank, right? Even if I have to say no to things, even if I have to go through something that's super, super tough, or I have to give money to something, right? Jesus, there's a response when we say yes to follow me, a response, right? That invitation is always open every Sunday, right? But what's the in-between, the weak, the response, my obedience, my trust, Jesus, you see me, you see these disciples, and it's the same. It's alive. That book is so alive, right? And so what's so cool, right, is that our backgrounds, everything that we've been through, like the person next to you, they have a different story than you, right? You have a different story, different background, different family dynamics, right? But what's so cool is Jesus is so unique that he meets you exactly in the way he knows your heart, right? Because he knows you intimately. He created you. He created your kids. Jesus meets your kids and loves them so much, so, so much. And what's so cool is that we worship a father that's like, oh, I want to meet you no matter how old you are, no matter what you've been through. And what's so cool is that all we have to say is yes, right? No matter what. And so I thought it would be cool. And we were talking, I was like, it's so interesting that when the Holy Spirit just comes and changes the way you think, right? We've all been there in some way and capacity. When the church, when you go to church, right? You come in, you're like, whoa, I will have to think differently, right? That's what the Holy Spirit comes in to do. He comes in, he's like, I want to change some thoughts because his ways are better, right? And so we were thinking about the rich young ruler, right? And he's like, I got everything in the world. And the disciples come in and he's watching Jesus talk to him. And Jesus is like, are you willing to give it up for me? And the response of the young ruler is like, about that, right? And then the disciples are like, wait, he's rich. Doesn't he inherit the kingdom of heaven? He has everything. And Jesus is like, but the response, where is the response, the love, the obedience for me, right? And so it kind of challenges me and it challenges all of us that it's so sweet when you realize like what it really means to be blessed and favored, you can gain everything, right? 
And then you can still know that peace that the Holy Spirit comes in. He's like, I'm there. Like when that peace comes in, there's nothing like that. And so we all know the story with, um, maybe some of us don't, but Mary and Joseph, right? Mary carried the son of God. And what's so sweet is an angel came to Mary and said, hey, in Luke 1, 28, it says, rejoice highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. <laughs> what does this mean? Highly favored one, right? It meant that Jesus, or God saw Mary and said, whoa, the attitude is there. And you see in Luke 1, 34, it says, how can this be since I do not know a man? It wasn't, but I am not married. What will people think, right? I think some of us have been there when you have to be different than your family or you have to be different than the people at your work because it's the response. It's different when Jesus is in it. It's so different. And so Mary had the response, right? And God saw that saw the obedience and she said, all right, I'll do it. I'm ready. No matter what people think, no matter what people say, right? Because at the end of the day, when we live for Jesus, it's going to look different than the world. Look so different than culture. So different than what you see on your phones every day, right? I think about this all the time. I'm like, if only our world would hold the Bible as often as we hold our phones, right? Because when we hold our phones, we hold so tightly to this to identify who we are and what other people are doing and what other families are doing, right? And then we forget, oh my gosh, people are driving while holding this thing? Gosh, if Jesus, <laughs> I'm, I'm preaching myself, if we just invite Jesus in every day, that's blessing and favor because Jesus will provide, he'll give you exactly what you need. Ray, you can go ahead and come on up. So I wanted to share real quick this verse. It's Proverbs 3, 4 through 5. It says, so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. This is what Jesus is teaching us, right? Is that when we stay close to his ways, right? And our response is a yes, I follow you, Jesus, but it's every day, not just the one moment, right? Every day. What's so sweet is sometimes it's like, well, what do I need to do to do that? right? And there's some questions you have to ask yourself is, God, what do you expect of me? Because he answers. He speaks to us. The Holy speaks to us. And he says, hey, I have a plan, a calling on all of your lives, right? So when we invite him, he speaks and he leads, right? So I have this picture real quick. Um, you can throw it up on the screen. So this is me and my grandma. And um, about six months ago, she passed away. And whew, what's so sweet is she 
took me in and raised me, and I love her so much, right? Um, it's in the behind the scenes. You can say, I come to church, Jesus, I follow you, but then moments like this, Jesus is like, keep following me, right? Moments when you might experience loss, you might experience you lost your job or a relationship, whatever that is, right? In these moments when we're like, what now, Lord? And we're on this high, and we're like, Jesus, I accept you, right? And my grandma, she um, experienced kidney failure, but in that time in my life, whew, sorry, Jesus kept telling me, hey, you got two options, two options. You can invite me in that room with your grandma, or, right, just sit in it. And sometimes I've did both, I'll be honest with you, right? And that we're, we're human, that's normal, right? But in that, Jesus comes in. He's like, hey, this is the moment, the time, where it's like, listen, I see you, I have a plan for you, but your response right now in the behind the scenes when no one sees, right? He comes in and he provides and he gives the love and the peace, right? That only the he can give, not the world can give, right? So my last verse, it's Mark 10, continuing on with, with the rich young ruler, right? Mark 10, 29 through 30, and this is what's so sweet. <laughs> I'm excited. It says, yes, Jesus replied to the disciples who were like, I've given up everything for you, Jesus. What now, right? And Jesus said, I assure you, that anyone that has given up a house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake, for the good news, will reserve now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, or property, along with persecution, and in the world to come, that person will inherit eternal life. There's nothing better, nothing better, right? That in these moments, right, you might experience those things lost or moments of like, this feels a little uncomfortable. Guess what? Living with Jesus looks different than the world. So different. And he just looks for our response and that response is yes, right? I love you guys. Thank you so much.